broadcast our normal conversations but not directly into the microphone yeah it'd be a lot like uh uh skin of a rink <laughs> which i did try to watch you can't get through it it is impossible to get through yeah it is like steven spielberg's kubrick's ai movie <laughs> i cannot get through that mm. i hit some point and i fall asleep every time Let's intro it. Listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. This is a podcast where we friends get together and talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil. But first, we talk about Recently Watched, which we'll try not to spoil. Uh, we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find the music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you could buy it digitally, or say hello to them on Facebook, where they are the Moon-Rays. And we are not professional critics. We are your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Jolian. Hello and welcome. And Will. Hello. So guys, um, since we did this last, what have you watched? Anyone want to start it? Nothing good. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, I didn't watch anything very new. I watched The Magnetic Monster at some point. Oh yeah. Which is actually a good movie. Mm -hmm. Uh believable science fiction from the 1950s that you know giant grasshoppers aren't crawling across a postcard to destroy the world so i just ended up on a bunch of those i don't even remember them all oh you've been on tubi again i've been on tubi just letting it run through 50s sci-fi excellent slash horror movies so 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 i got a question about that Uh uh-huh um have you ever taken like a video camera and pointed it at the monitor that it's hooked up to and you get that weird tunnel that just goes into uh-huh. a, I- infinity. What if you pointed two televisions, both set to Tubi at each other? Mm. Would would that do anything like that? I don't think so. You wouldn't create like a feedback loop that would just go to the shittiest movies to the ends of the earth and then they would just burst in the flames? If you could somehow record it and play it back at the same time. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Like the videos recording the Tubi, but that is running the Tubi. That's the video camera. Yeah. In fact, I, you know, I don't know how you start that loop though. Yeah. Cause it seems like if you just let it suggest, if you leave off at the last bad movie, it suggested, uh, huh. you come back the next time you're ready to watch movies for hours and you start there. Does it just keep spiraling down? It just keeps going through similar movies. Uh, um, it never runs out. It doesn't seem to, and I haven't seen, um, oh, what is it? Maybe it is to, oh no, Freebie will, once your thing, whatever you're watching is done, 
it'll kick you over to a freebie show, usually Judge Judy or some cooking competition. I had that. And happen. so you're like, what the hell is this? I woke up watching and Judge it's Judy. It's not the and first episode. It's always like the third episode or the sixth episode of a competition show. You're like, I didn't watch any of the others. Why are they starting here? It's very weird. Judge Judy doesn't put up with any nonsense in her courtroom. No, but <laughs> I find let's that not out. talk about Judge Judy. Yeah, she showed up at two in the morning after I fell asleep. Most <laughs> most of what I, what I've watched on Tubi has been Bruce Bruce exploitation films. <laughs> so if I had two Tubies facing each other, it would be Bruce exploitation exploitation. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> Mm. Night in the switchgrass. Mm. <laughs> so, so what else? I don't know. Name a 50s movie. I probably watched it. Uh, Attack of the Giant Tarantulas. I watched Earth versus the Spider. Ooh. There you go. Kronos. Uh, yeah, the Burt I. Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, he died recently. Did he? Yeah. He was oh. 100 years old. Poor Burt. He, he was a real independent filmmaker, you know, but... He's going to pursue his own obsession with things that are really big or really small. Uh-huh, yeah, he liked that. <laughs> he kept that going for decades. Decades. That was his gimmick. That's why he put the I in his name. So yeah. B-I-G. He was the notorious B-I-G before there was a notorious B-I-G. Mm. So yeah. They're putting out um, Unmarried a Monster from Out Space on Blu-ray soon. So. Hmm. Looking forward to that. Excellent. Um, I think the only one that may have not been a 50s sci-fi I watched was Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Mm. Oh. But that was just a MST version, so. Yeah. It's been exciting. <laughs> you know, Tubi really upped its game, but at the same time, it, uh, it also took on a lot of garbage. Um... If you, when I was looking for Alone With Me on Tubi, it also brought up Alone With Bigfoot. Oh, oh of course. I thought, oh, maybe I should watch. <laughs> Didn't have time. An erotic docudrama. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it? Yeah, why not? All right, Jolien, what do you got? All right, do you have time for a story time? Sure. Yes. Yeah, do it. All right, so I watched Don't Go Near the Park from 1979. Okay. We all like movies that tell, tell us you what not, not what not to do <laughs> so this is uh written produced and directed by lawrence d folds uh 80 minutes perfect uh in the uk it became video nasty and this movie has more triggers than a roy rogers convention it's oh, uh, right yeah it's a lot even... of psychosexual trauma <laughs> <laughs> oh and there's a spoiler alert on this too okay uh, credits introducing Linnea Quigley. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. all right. So a grey man strangles a teenage boy and tears open his stomach with his bare hands, then munches on the gullywats. A grey-haired masked woman traps a woman in a barn and does the same to her. As they feast, the victim turns grey and the cannibals get the brunettes back. Then the man sees Linnea Quigley at a parade. Eleven minutes into the movie, she has a shower. Mm-hmm. Wow, what took her? Uh, there's a headline in the times child lost again again the same child <laughs> yeah, that's right i mean you just arrest the parents at that point right <laughs> that darn child uh 
So the man bursts in on Quigley as she steps out of the shower, but he's just looking to rent a room. So she says, OK. <laughs> OK. At night, she's in her negligee and he bursts in again. They get married, which is when we find out his name is Mark. Mark and Quigley. And she ha- does too. Yeah. Don't know what her name is. She never gets a name. Oh. Uh, Mark and Quigley have a girl he calls Bondi. Okay. He tells his wife Bondi is the most special person in the world to him. Hmm. She gets that expression. You can yeah. imagine. Yeah. Um, flashback to prehistoric Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> where the two cannibals are walking around on a dirt road. Uh, you can see the tracks on the road. Of course. A teenage boy comes along. The woman strokes his chest, then kills him. Then we jump back to nine years ago to check in on Bondi. Wait, nine years before prehistoric times? Stay with me here. <laughs> nine years ago from the present day of the opening of the movie. Okay. Okay? To check in on Bondi. Then seven years later, she's having her 16th birthday. It does hop around a bit at this point. Hmm. Just a bit. He's <laughs> like really brief stops off at various time periods. Um... Mark and Quigley have another fight over his fixation. She yells at him, I'm copper and she's gold. So Bondi runs away. Okay, uh, yeah. that all makes sense. Uh, so uh, Bondi heads downtown and on the strip she's looking at posters for a couple of porno films, including one called Penetration, when she accepts a ride from, from a bunch of dudes in a van lined with orange plush carpet. It's... It's all over. Even on the dashboard, there's like just holes cut out for the various switches. The vents, yeah. Um, The dude's a saucer, but she suddenly has a magic pendant the size of an ashtray and calls on Daddy to help. The van speeds up, crashes and explodes, but she's fine. Well, yeah. She happens to be near a ranch inhabited by the one-eyed grey lady. Flashback to the white people of prehistoric LA. The tribal elder curses the cannibal siblings to live for 12,000 years. At which point, if they sacrifice a virgin on the night of the twin stars by the moon, their curse will be lifted. Oh, sure. We find out the grey lady is Petronella, and her curse keeps people away from her ranch in the park, hence the title. Hmm. The ranch is also home to a runaway boy named Nick, who feels up Bondi while she's unconscious, recovering from the rape, befriends her, then goes into town to sell psychoactive flowers from a bucket. Old O'Ray turns up, rescues Nick from a thug, and takes him out for a sandwich. It's a little creepy to modernise, but we're long past that point. Yeah. <laughs> this far into the movie. Um, That's the least of this movie's problems. Aldo Ray plays a writer... He, do you know who he is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, plays a writer named Taft, who happens, happens to be researching the Cursed Park. He shows Nick another time's front page, which says Griffith shoots wife. The wife being Petronella and the shooting being how she lost one eye. Next night, Nick sees Petronella sucking on someone's guts and runs to find Bondi, but she's just gone out after having a nightmare about falling into a coffin. A dog scares her and she rolls downhill into a cave, which happens to be her father Mark's lair. <laughs> you okay? You, you, to be, no, you no, look, I... look a bit dizzy. I do. I feel dizzy. She rolled into a cave. Yeah, she rolls that downhill. Happens to be her her, her father Mark's lair. Lair. He's now just wearing a furry loincloth. Oh, okay. He tells Makes her. Sense. He tells her, being his daughter, to get naked, but Petronella shows up and they shoot each other and the dog with eye lasers. The dog is named Beast. 
Then a teenage boy named Cowboy shows up. He was in one earlier scene where he gives Bondi some pineapple when they start snogging. Cowboy gets eye laser zapped too. Are you okay there? <laughs> <laughs> We're almost at the end now. Hold I on. I feel like on. I've seen this movie. <laughs> oh, oh, you'll be watching it tonight. I, I, I will. Um, Cowboy <laughs> gets eye laser zapped too. Petronella cries, flames of hell, and the cave catches on fire. Then she says, the hill explodes, and the entrance collapses. Then she tells Bondi to swallow the ashtray-sized pendant, which he does, then turns into the tribal elder and delivers an incomprehensible speech. Hmm. I quote, Children, all, learn wisdom. Where is the length of days and nights? Where in sight of the eye that peaks? Okay. So far, so good. I told you, incomprehensible. Yes. Um, everyone becomes decayed, and there are several other decomposing people in the cave all fighting. Bondi becomes 16 again and rescues Cowboy. Taft happens to be outside yelling, Jesus, and digs out the rubble. He takes the kids home. Uh, Bondi, Nick and Cowboy are strolling downtown the next day, wondering what to do and pushing away hustlers. They go to a playground in the park. Nick climbs a ride. Bondi rakes his belly with her nails and smiles at the camera. The end. Hmm. Of course. Uh, Aldo Ray and Mino Pelus, who plays Nick, use their own names, but the actors playing Bondi, Petronella and Mark use pseudonyms. Uh, Mark is played by Robert Gribben, but he goes by the name Crackers Finn. Petronella is Barbara Bain from Mission Impossible in Space 1999. And the uh, writer, producer, director, Lawrence Folds, was 19 when he made this. Well, good for him. Yeah. Wow. How much weed did he smoke? <laughs> All of it. All of it is the correct answer. I do have to say, Aldo Ray, I don't know what he was like in the late 70s, but uh, he did a comedy with um, Humphrey Bogart and Peter Ustinov called We're No Angels. Mm. Very funny movie, like ahead of its time as far as how the humor works. Uh, that's a favorite. So yeah. that's why I know who Aldo Ray is. And he was an ex-Marine as well, a big guy. He looked like a big yeah, dude. Yeah, you see him in, uh, is it The Naked and the Dead, where he's this, like, psycho Marine in that. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, he's a scary dude in that. Yeah, and Bogart wasn't very tall, was he? No. No, he was like 5'6". Yeah? Yeah. So I you... think he wore some lifts in his shoes, too, so. Hmm. So, uh, I guess Tom Cruise has him to thank for all the good ideas? I think Bogart had, you know... Uh, money to thank because he really showed what you know money would allow women to overlook his baseball glove type face <laughs> putting it kindly <laughs> as kindly as I could are they overlooking it because they're too tall or no they're overlooking <laughs> it because he's rich oh okay they go ah, he's okay looking what else you got uh, well, since it's Easter, uh, Lash of the Penitentes from 1936. Um, this has got, well, there's like two or three directors on it. Uh, Roland Price, who's famous for doing marijuana re weed with roots in hell. Ooh. Uh, he shot some silent footage of the Penitentes. And uh, Harry Revler, who's famous for Child Bride, which is another roadshow of the 30s. Uh, he shot the uh, murder plot they graphed onto it, and he shot the uh, nude scene that happens towards the end. 
Um, the roadshow versions of this were 35 minutes. Um, the full-length one is 45 minutes. Ooh. Um, but does 10 minutes really clear up? Well, uh, back in the day, it's like roadshow pictures, like, uh, you know, and literally someone would put all the film cans in their car, drive to a town, they'd announce it and mm -hmm. uh, show it. And then they'd probably show the cleaner version to whoever needed to inspect things. And then the dirtier version on would the night, be the they'd night. have two versions ready to go. And then uh, sometimes they'd have um, one reel, which they call the square up reel, in uh -huh. case the police busted them. They'd tell the, you know, the audience, oh, just hang around. Once the police had left, they'd stick on the square up reel, which has all the hot stuff on it. Ah, nice. Anyway, um, Lash of the Penitentes, 1936, a drama documentary about a flagellant community in a mountain village of northern New Mexico, where you're from. Yeah. Flagellant city. Um, cobbled together from various lengths of films, uh, the plot thread is a gringo reporter sneaking up to see the Holy Week shenanigans, and there's a one-take patronising narration slathered over it. He sounds kind of drunk at some points, and he, <laughs> he flubs the lines. Oh. But it, but they keep going. Oh yeah, um, they only had enough film for that one take. Take take a drink every time the narrator says "trail of blood." Blood. <laughs> a, a woman is stripped bare in the last ten minutes. Um, you see it from the back. Uh, there's a murder. Saucy. And suspects. Very hot stuff in the thirties. Yeah. Uh, there's a murder and suspects are shown chained up and beaten until one confesses. Uh, final shot is a burning cross and the narrator intoning wake up wake up America the heart of Africa beats in the spine of the Rockies which is huh. like huh? huh indeed what the is this aimed at the KKK or something anyway um, weird film wow it's aimed at Santeria <laughs> uh, but they're confusing I mean Santeria is got some African elements to it yeah. And uh, it's practiced in New Mexico, I imagine. Right. So that's what they're against. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was... Watch out. Those terrible Santerans. But, uh, yeah. I mean, we've carried on watching Zatoichi films. Number 97. <laughs> so we've watched Zatoichi the Outlaw and Zatoichi Challenged. Um... Zatoichi 2099. <laughs> in space. <laughs> Um, Zatoichi Lost at Sea. Yeah, Zatoichi the Outlaw was uh, that was directed by Satsuo Yamamoto, who's this like uh, he direct he directed um, the first of the Shinobi no Mono series, like his ninja movies in the early sixties. Mm, Fantastic! Oh, wow, um, way ahead of their time. And then um, he did the White Tower, which is like his expose of goings on in a hospital. Um, really good. Um, so he did the sixteenth entry. And that's the first one produced by Katsu Productions. Like the, uh, the guy who plays Zatoichi is uh, Shintaro Katsu. So, and he formed his own production company. Oh, all right. So once Katsu Productions takes over, especially into the 70s, they get these films get much bloodier. Like there's hardly any blood in the early entries. First one, first mm. 15 or yeah. so. Um, so th th this one is the first one with uh, on-screen dismemberment and a decapitation. Wow. Um but you've got Shintaro Katsu facing uh, Rentano Makuni, who is like the veteran of um, period films. Um, they call him Jidai Geki. Mm -hmm. It's a period film, so they're mostly samurai films. Oh, okay. 
Um, and the plot is interesting. It's about a peaceful farm collective versus uh, various gangsters. Um, storytelling sort of stumbles in the second half when Zatoichi leaves the town, hangs out elsewhere and returns to find what he did has had bad repercussions. Oh, well, okay. I, I like quite, quite a few of these, these films. He does something really wrong. Yeah. He makes a terrible mistake. I mean, it's forgivable, but he's it's like... He's like a blind killing machine. He's going to kill the wrong people sometimes. Yeah. So he'll kill a bad guy and then their boss will send more bad guys? Things yeah, like that? Yeah, they'll, they'll like go after the people he was protecting. Or, okay. You know, uh, in Zatoichi, the Samaritan, he, some Yakuza, want another Yakuza killed because he owes a lot of money. Okay. And uh, he, he kills the guy. <laughs> and uh, And then the guy's sister turns up. And Zatoichi, like, he uh, he he tries to protect the sister because hmm. he, cause he's done this terrible thing. Yeah. Um, Why ever kill the person who owes you a bunch of money? You're never going to get your money that way. <laughs> no, unless you take out an insurance policy on them. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, you can put it up on your resume. <laughs> Killed the last person who owed me money. All right, uh, I'm putting that on there. Loves animals. Loves animals. Walks <laughs> on the beach. Loves teasing animals um, and small children. <laughs> then I watched uh, Heartbeeps from 1982. Have you heard of this one? Oh, I've heard of it. Did not see it. Oh, I'm yeah. not. S- good oh, idea. yeah. This is so, directed by Alan Arkush after he did Rock and Roll High School. Okay. This is 78 minutes. Long 78 minutes. Yeah, I imagine. Have you, re- you remember this I, one? I I remember it. I don't know that I ever set i must have sat through the whole thing as a kid but mm. yeah i've never seen this before but it had like pictures and books i have and I thought, oh, i'll check it out so this is a christmas release science fiction rom-com starring bernadette peters and andy kaufman what could go wrong <laughs> a shitty script <laughs> everything <laughs> uh special makeup by stan winston okay Sound- so far so good soundtrack by john williams Okay, looks good on paper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also stars Randy McQuaid, Kenneth McMillan, Christopher Guest. Okay. Mary Warrenoff, Paul Bartel, Dick Miller. All right. Looks great. On paper. Cost $12 million. Made $2 million. Ooh. Uh, Lays it on really thick with a cutesy couple, but aggressively unfunny. (laughs) Uh, One of those comedies with an inverse ratio between money spent and laughs produced. Uh, Kaufman's last movie. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he went on um, one of the late night shows. Uh, Letterman. Le- Letterman, yeah. And uh, he uh, he apologized for heartbeats and said that he'd pay uh, he'd pay back the tickets on it for everyone who'd been to see the movie. And Letterman said, well, you'll need change out of $20 then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's man. good. There you go. Anyway. Yeah, it looks atrocious, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, now I want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, not as bad as I want to watch. Don't go near the park. Oh, don't go near the park. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I think that's going to be one of us picking movies next. One of us is going to pick that. I could tell. Yeah. Um, for me, I finally watched Megan, which I've oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah I've been I've been referring to it as Mithrigan. Yes, because they do spell it. With a three. Mithrigan, yeah. Mithrigan. Um, this is a 2022 science fiction horror movie directed by Gerard Johnstone, written by Akela Cooper from a uh, story by Cooper and James Wan. 
who um, also produced with uh, Jason Blum. Uh, this stars Allison Williams, Violet McGraw, and Amy McDonald. I'm sorry, Amy Donald, um, physically portraying Megan and uh, Jenna Davis voicing the character. This um, is AI gone wrong. And uh, I'm tempted to bring up uh, Chat <laughs> Chat GPT and have him write a limerick about this movie. You should have him but, write the sequel. You know, I considered while Jolien was talking to like pull that up and have it write a sequel to uh, Don't Go Near the Park. <laughs> Don't Go Near the Park. Uh, probably would be very short. It sounds a uh, lot like uh, Messiah of Evil. Mm. Yeah. You know, people wandering the street and then something bad happens to them and then they cut to something else. You're like, yeah. what happened? Who were those folks? And one, <laughs> and one movie is so good. Well, yeah. One is not. I won't oh. tell which one. It is really strange. Well, um, it's like a updated Frankenstein, isn't it? It is. Did you find yourself enjoy, modern, enjoying modern this one? Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this one is actually... postmodern. Postmodern. Modern. Uh. <laughs> Later than modern? Yeah. Wouldn't that be just more modern? More modern. I've always wondered postmodern, like, who came up with that? It just seems like some... Well, it came after modern. Yeah. Okay, modern's over with. So yeah. Instead of calling it the new modern, they called it postmodern. Yeah. I guess. So Megan is, I mean, Jolene and I both agree, is entertaining. I found myself just having a, having a laugh with it. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, a, it doesn't, it's not really punchy. No. It could have gone pretty dark. Yeah. Like she was, I would say, uh, kind of glitching out or doing something out of what her character was supposed to be as an AI bot that behaves itself probably about 25 minutes into the movie. I think you, you meet Megan at about 21 minutes into the movie and at about 25 or 26 minutes into the movie, you see the first indications like, Oh, she didn't like what she just heard mm -hmm. or she, you know, kind of shot the sideways glance about like, no, that ain't what I'm going to be right. dealing with here. Of course she's like weapons. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Strong. Yeah. Titanium. You, you want that with a toy for your kid. Yeah. Titanium endoskeleton with uh -huh, with retractable claws and it breathes fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the kids will love sure, it. It was the seventies. Yeah, <laughs> right. um, yeah. I, I found it was like uh, it was very, really, really familiar. You know, it's a very familiar concept and yeah. story, and we've well seen trodden this a lot of times, ground. But it's you know, it's updated with the new technology, and it's got like the whole um, automated house thing going on. Oh, okay. And uh, it's got. Um, I thought um, it kind of lent in more into the um, parental responsibility angle. It did because the the main character. Uh, well, who do you call the main characters? Is it the is it the orphaned niece, or is it Megan, or is it the the aunt who's now tasked with raising her niece? Yeah, I don't know who the main character is supposed to be. Uh, I want to say it's the niece who recently orphaned. Um, but uh, her cool auntie is yeah, that's, that's a robotics a good, expert. Good point. It's like maybe it should have focused on one of them. A little more. Because yeah. they both got interesting things going on. Because you've got like the, the aunt who's like not really responsible mm -hmm. for her, what what she's making or, or the kid she's landed with. and But it kind of lets her off. Yeah. And then uh, and then the, the daughter is, um, she 
she's got this new android friend and she's becoming more and more like Megan mm -hmm. over the course of the film. She, you know, she's more aggressive. And, yeah. Like she just kind of is taking cues from Megan's behavior yeah, and attitude. Yeah. And just, and just kind of going, you can see this, this could turn out really bad. <laughs> yeah. But it kind um, of, she, she escapes that as well. Without too many spoilers. I want to just say if you, if you hate a bully and you, <gasps> and you don't like watching an entire movie for him to get their comeuppance, mm -hmm. this is the movie for you. Oh, really? He's introduced and then that's it. <laughs> He's introduced and dispatched within like six minutes. That's his scene. Oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> it's good. Uh, and you watched the unrated one. I'm assuming that... Yeah, I don't know what was cut. Probably the ear scene. Hmm, I guess so. Was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but <clears throat> there's something that they do with an ear that I don't know that they do <laughs> in, in the rated one. I think the unrated one is maybe like that's the where they drew the line. There's also some other bloody stuff that happens. Um, the dog does die, but mm -hmm. off screen, um, pretty much off screen, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You never see it again. I thought it was funny that the Seattle-based toy company was called Funky, <laughs> which is just one letter off from Funko. Yes. Which is just north of Seattle, and right. I've actually been to their headquarters with my friend Dustin. We did Emerald City Comic Con, and it is cool. Like their works, their workspace is just hilarious. I, I don't even want to go into it, but uh, they had a uh, basically a store you could go into, and if you're there as a guest, you could just take whatever you want. They're just like, eh, no, just load up. Don't don't be shy. It's like I, I grabbed like two or three toys, but. Dustin's like, I don't want to be a dick. And they're like, don't worry about mm -hmm. it. Because we were there waiting for an order that they accidentally shipped to his headquarters in Marietta, Georgia. Um, they accidentally sh shipped his order there instead of to the convention center. Or no, they were supposed to hold it at the dock. I don't know. But he had like three pallets worth of toys that weren't going to be at the show. And mm -hmm. it was a disaster. So they're like, we'll repick the order. Mm -hmm. Just come and hang out. Mm -hmm. So didn't, it was, they, didn't the bottom fall out? from Funko recently uh, they had to destroy like three million dollars worth of the merchandise I did not hear about that because it wouldn't that. sell whoa really yeah that sounds like the E.T. game getting buried in the desert exactly jeez so down Weird. goes Funko everybody who wanted one got one and now nobody wants anymore uh oh that would be a bad scene I like the the, the toys that we have the Nika yeah. ultimate action figures which by the way this has a lot to do with the movie we're talking about. Um, they're going to release Creature from the Black Lagoon, the ultimate creature action figure. Finally, free Goonie, whatever his name is. The uh, Gilman. Gilman. Well, that's his last name. What's his? He's got to have a catchy nickname. Right. You know, Gil Gilly. Gilbert Gilman. Gilbert Gilman. So, um, yeah, uh, Mithrigan was good. Uh I do recommend that one. Um, I watched a documentary about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's called Texas. The real one? Uh, the real one where, you know, a friend <laughs> of mine. the movie a, was based on? A friend of mine's uncle knows a guy who was in prison with Leatherface. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy, actually, once you got to know him. <laughs> yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Shocking Truth. This came out in the year 2000. Which sounds futuristic, but it was 23 years ago. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's an hour and 15 minutes, so they don't bog you down with a lot of stuff. But uh, you do get some archival footage of Ed Gein, which is kind of weird. Um, 
interviews, I mean, it was long enough ago, there were interviews with Gunnar Hansen and um, some footage of Toby Hooper and... Footage. It makes it sound like they sat outside his house and filmed him without his knowledge. Well, once they stabilize the film, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the frame where he looks back at the camera. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. And then you're like, I believe you could tell he it's could have a... directed Poltergeist now. It's, it's not a guy in a suit. <laughs> <laughs> he actually... <laughs> He's an actual director. Yeah. <laughs> and not just made up. Yeah. So for shaky, tax purposes. Shaky, shaky footage of Toby Hooper. But they had... He wanders off screen and then the rest of the movie is played by his chiropodist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now they had most of the uh, actors from the movie talking about how disgusting it was filming mm. it. You guys know the stories. Oh, horrendous. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, we went to the local uh, butcher and got a bunch of stuff to you know make the scene look extra gross. And then it's like, yeah, it's a hundred and... 20 degrees yeah, in Texas and, oh. <laughs> yeah. and Gunnar Hansen said that they didn't want to take any chances of losing his costume. So they didn't take it and have it cleaned. And they also didn't want it to look like it, like it hadn't been in oh, the previous man. scene. So he said he smelled worse than anybody on the set. <sighs> Poor guy. Um, mm. And but, he couldn't see. <laughs> yeah. Through the mask. <laughs> um, no, they, he was a blind man. Yes. <laughs> he couldn't see through the mask. <laughs> Cruel, it, it, cruel trick, Toby, and I'm doing air quotes. Hooper, Tobe. <laughs> um, so, so this one, uh, there was some weird mob ties to the financing of it, and the and the percentage of the like the people who actually made this movie didn't see money from it at all for a while, mm-hmm. and that's because the mob was like. Uh, Hey, yeah, we haven't quite gotten paid back yet, <laughs> or whatever it is they say. Just like a studio. Right. Return of the Jedi still not turned to profit. Right. <laughs> so this one is uh, one of those making of your favorite horror movies kind of, kind of documentaries. Um, and just to get some mainstream laughs, we watched Murder Mystery 2. Uh, all I have to tell you is that it's uh, a sequel to Murder Mystery, starring Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was there was no Murder Mystery one, and it was just called Murder Mystery Two. No explanation. Yeah. So. Uh, but they <clears throat> refer to things that would have been in the first movie. Yeah. There's no actual first movie. That would be good. Um. So, Jolien, you chose, in uh, observance of Easter, you wanted to do some resurrections, some yes. zomb- zomb- zombie stuff. We oui. The grapes of death. And I also wanted to encourage your learning of French. We oui. Ah, très bien. Uh, this uh, <laughs> this uh, piece of uh, cinema fantastique uh, really got me going. Very good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on it. Uh, I liked it. Um, do you want to give the the rundown of the plot? Uh, so this is uh, Les Raisons de la Mort. Oui. Also known as Pesticide. <laughs> I think the, the German title for this was uh, Windmill of the Raped Women. Jeez. There's no <laughs> wow, Germany. There's neither of those things <laughs> in this movie. Fresh your brakes, man. <laughs> right? Um, so this is a... a, a it strongly implies that pesticide being used on this crop 
of uh, grapes, uh-huh. which has gone into the local new wine festival, uh-huh. has uh, turned um, the local population into the infected z- zombies, as it were. Yeah. So this is one of the uh, infected zombie movies of the 70s, like The Crazies. Yep. Um, and then uh, a couple of years after this, it was Nightmare City. Um, 28 days later, of course, much later. But you you had like the Cronenberg films like Shivers and Rabid. Mm-hmm. So infected zombies. Um, and uh, yeah, basically that's it. There's, there's like um, there's a couple of women. Um, one of them's on her way to see her fiancé in this town called Rubles, which is basically mm-hmm. the wine production plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vineyard and um, and the other one's going to travel on to Spain but before they get into town the the uh, the uh, tractor driver you see in the opening scene named Kowalski mm-hmm. gets on the train and he looks a bit unwell and uh, he kills uh, one of the women and uh, and then attacks the second one and um, she runs off into a tunnel and he he instead of chasing her, he sits down on the rail and puts his head in his hands. Yeah, these, these zombies are self-aware and they know they're rotting from the inside and they know they're doing terrible things. Oh, good. Um, so um, anyway, she she goes through the tunnel and enters into this very uh, underpopulated landscape, and she goes into these mountain towns and yeah, various people start emerging. Yeah. Yeah, they come out of nowhere, it seems. They do kind of show up like Night of the Living Dead, which I got to wonder if they took cues from that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, duh. <laughs> well, the the um, origin of this film. Um, so as producer, um, uh, Claude Gouet, um, the, the, he got together with Jean Rennes and they wanted to do a movie to cash in on the disaster movies of the day. But they couldn't do like a sinking ocean line or a right, no. towering inferno or anything. Yeah. So uh, they figured a, well, a cheaper disaster would be a zombie apocalypse. So, and they were right. Yeah. So they, so this was shot winter of 77 into 78. Um, so it pre-preceded Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Ah. And it, it was a few years after the 70s run of zombie movies post Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. So, yeah, this, this kind of um, gets lost. I don't think that many people have seen this film. No, I don't think it's so. Not, it's not a typical genre alarm film. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it ever came out on video in um, in Britain. I would have titled it Night of the Winos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would, you know, the, the most shocking thing about this movie to me was that I didn't know that the word for grapes in French was raisins. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, that, that was surprising. What do they call raisins then? Just dry I believe dry? raisin means without rays. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I see. Sans, sans rays. Sans rays. Yeah. Um, this was a trilingual film for me because it was in French. Subtitles are in Spanish, and then the other subtitles I downloaded were in English, but well behind the Spanish subtitles. So I got to oh, I got to you know test my Spanish. How much of that sentence did I get? Wow! <laughs> and there'd be ones like I don't know that word at all, and usually be something kind of obscure like oh okay. 
All right, I'm I'm uh, I'm putting this into a French translating website. Yeah, I kept writing emails to Jolian in French, and I just put them through the translator because I don't know no French. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So the word for raisins is raisins. Now, if I put in I like grapes, is it gonna say j'aime raisin? Let's find out. Okay. Yeah. J'aime les raisins. Fuck, man, I don't know. Mm. So, um, <laughs> that aside, uh, it was, okay, you didn't, Will, you didn't end up watching the YouTube version that had the English subtitles? No. It, it looked really sharp, uh, except for when the movie itself maybe went a little soft on the focus or whatever. Yeah, but... it looked really sharp on this. Okay, good. It's it just the... had hard-burned uh, Spanish subtitles. Oh. And then, uh, so they didn't want to put the French, or the English subtitles over the Spanish, so they'd be right after. Oh, so like this, I said, I got to read Spanish and then guess out, see how good my Spanish was. There's a good version on uh, Canopy. Don't don't you get Canopy? I don't have Canopy, but it's free. I need to get a library card. Oh, okay. Mine no longer seems to be active. Active. Huh. I don't know why, because I haven't used it in forever. It's probably. worth it. It's a great. Yeah. Selection. Canopy with a K for the listeners who mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah, if you check with your local library, they might have it. Or Hoopla. Hoopla. That's another, seems to be another library-based okay. uh, streaming service. But it was the second or third one over when I was looking at, at YouTube, and I clicked on it, and it's like making me sign in, and luckily it just accepted my Gmail address and password. Yeah, that's all you have to do to sign into YouTube. Well, that's good to know. They're owned by the same people. <laughs> you can use your Google password for, or, you know, Google, whatever. I guess, Identification. Yeah. yeah, on a lot of things. You Damn. can sign into Facebook and eBay and man, all sorts of stuff. Man, once, once AI takes over, all they're going to need to do is trick you into giving that out once. Well, that's yeah. why you change your passwords a lot. Yeah, you think you're going to fool Megan, Mithrigan? You know what? <laughs> what if AI's already taken over? But well, it's so smart, it knows not to let on. You know, that would be the, the best trick that the AI devil could ever play on us. Yes. <laughs> so, um, Elizabeth, um, uh, this character is played by um, Marie-Georges Pascal. Um, she looked really familiar, and I could not tell you why. She made a wager, I heard. Pascal's wager. <laughs> oh, uh, whether or not zombies exist, you should believe in them because if you encounter them, you'll be prepared or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. That's weird. What? So you, uh, you don't know? Uh, well, I, I had not looked at her, um, at her uh, filmography. Looks like she did a lot of television as well. Let's see. What should I know her from? Nothing. Um, <laughs> mechanical Bananas. <laughs> she was in a 1973 French erotic comedy directed by Jean-Francois Davy called Bananes Mechaniques. Bananes? Banane? Banane. Banane. Yeah, I know they don't typically pronounce S's. Banane Mechaniques. Mechanical bananas. I wonder what those could be. 
Um, she was in that. I have no idea. Now I want to watch that. Um, oh, the international title was Clockwork Banana. <laughs> it came out in 73, so that tracks. Everyone's yeah, being, clever, yeah. being clever about other movie titles. Um, Is this a prequel to Time Bananas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Whereas Time Bananas itself a prequel mm. to itself. Yeah. Well, and a sequel. What's kind of creepy here is that I, I was thinking in the, you know, to skip forward to the end of the movie when she had the rifle, I thought, oh no, she's going to kill herself. She actually died by suicide in real life. Oh. Oh. Which is weird. Um, let's not dwell on that. Uh, so, um, Jolene, when was your first viewing of this? Where did you discover this? Um, yeah, so it hadn't come out on video in the UK, so yeah, I, I saw it ages after it came out so um i mean i've got the dvd and uh, I mean, i'll get a, if they bring out a nice new edition i'll probably do that um it's bound to end up on blu-ray at some point yeah it has uh, i think uh, redemption brought it out on blu-ray okay but um hopefully with all the uh you know renewed interest in genre land there'll be a even better editions down the road do you do you have a uh, a whole list of uh, French directors that you like? Do you like the new wave, the French new wave of the sixties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few of those from Criterion. Oh yeah, <laughs> they just did their uh, their fifty percent off sale. They do a couple times a year. Okay, it's like if I don't see something else, all I do is just look through um, Godard and yeah. Uh, yeah um, I always look for like Clouseaux I don't have. And... Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see, I've got. Um, oh, what's his name? Starts with an M. Um, Louis Mal. Louis. Mal? Yeah, Louis Mal. Um, I've got Elevator of the Gallows. I've got. Uh, oh yes, that one is just. I mean, Miles Davis soundtrack, stunning. Yeah, I love um, Jean Pierre Melville. And... Yeah, there's a bunch of really great directors, and the stuff is just kind of like, it's like noir without being without being like that dark mm-hmm. i don't know how to even describe the french new wave it's just it's 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 at once very cool but also very dark and i think that's you know like when people say oh tarantino's so derivative and so on and so forth and he knows it he he totally knows it but um but you can see a lot of that influence on his early movies yeah i mean the new wave that they were playing with american tropes and being very you know, very self-reflexive already yeah and he's he's like it's the circle going back to him. Yeah. Maybe that's the difference between French and Italian, is the self awareness. <laughs> Whereas the French seem to be self aware, and saying something about themselves in their films. Mm. This is very broad. Uh, <laughs> and the Italians are just like, no, these are nutty ideas I have, and I put them on the screen. <laughs> Which is why I prefer Italian films. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I swore that, and I don't know if it's just regional for whatever reason, just by proximity, you know, uh, this felt like an Italian movie to me. When I heard them speaking French, I was like, what? <laughs> well, they did try to get an Italian crew in because like, uh, the French had just rarely make horror movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the Frangieu films and stuff, but I mean, this is, this is the French zombie movie, yeah. I know I don't I've not seen director video things of recent yeah. years there might be more but this is it. Yeah, we learned this when we were talking about 
eyes without a face, that they're very resistant culturally to making these movies or embracing them so that when they do make them, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're like... They had no idea how to do the uh, special effects that you need for a zombie movie. Yeah. So they at one point they did get in a, an Italian team, but they couldn't handle it. So they got in somebody else who was actually from France, I think. But they, they had a great difficulty with it even then because they were shooting up in the mountains. Yeah. And it was so cold oh, that the, like, the makeup would cake up. and Oh, okay. The mechanical stuff just wouldn't work. Um, so they had to adapt to that. Um, so that like a lot of the, the facial makeup you get in this, it does look like yeah, just someone throwing a pizza in the in their general direction. Yeah, one guy just squeezed a mayonnaise packet on right. his forehead and said, yeah. "The hell with it, <laughs> let's roll." But like uh, you, you get the scenes with uh, Bridget LaHaye. Mm-hmm. Um, she turns up and like she's she's usually wearing next to nothing, if not nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, the one, the one with the truck the full Linnea of dynamite. Quigula. Yes, <laughs> Count Quigula. Quigula. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this is Ryan's first film with her, as uh, and it was her first straight film after doing pornography. Oh. Uh, so she became his muse, and she so like directly after this, he used the money from this to make uh, Fascination, which is one of his best. Okay. But anyway, she she does these scenes, and and uh, and it's at night, it's up in the mountains, it's winter, and she's like starkers. And, yeah, uh, but she's you know such a trooper. She was so happy to be doing this straight film, um, but when she tried to speak, it, her voice just wouldn't work. It was just too cold. So, oh man! Yeah, that had to be dubbed. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, it's winter. Let's get naked. We'll film right. a scene. It's a terrific idea. Nobody flubbed their lines or missed their mark. Right. Just, we got one shot at this. It does look like she did several years of, well, one year in particular. In 1977, she made about 15 movies, it looks like, without me counting them. And then in 1978, she did almost as many. So I'm assuming those were all the porno. Yeah. She looked insane. (laughs) She did. She's a good actor. Yeah. You watch her in Fascination. She's really... And and like... uh, um, some of the uh, La Nuit de Tranquille, um, but some of her later Roland films, she's re- she's really good. Um, but she, um, yeah, so she did all this like uh, sex worker stuff, and then um, in more recent years, she she became um, a radio host, and she did like a sex show. Oh, okay. People call in with their problems, and of course, like nothing phases her. Yeah. And she's funny and smart, so she was she was a really popular <laughs> presenter. And, Kind of like being a prison guard. Fringe radio, yeah. Show me something I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. She, she, uh, oh, she was in Henry in June. I did not know that. Um, yeah, it looks like a few that we're going to have to see if we, if Jolene, you may have seen already, um, The Fiance of Dracula. Yeah, I've seen all of Roland's horror films. Okay. Because I did the um, poster and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For Arrow. Actually, that, that poster of that documentary about him, uh, Orchestrator of Storms, um, that documentary is up for two awards. Oh, cool. There's like this, it's one of the Irish Horror Awards. It's not the Bram Stoker. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, Arondo, the best documentary. I don't know if it's one or not. 
The Rondo Awards. Yeah, uh, uh, travelled festivals around the world. So, how oh, cool! Congratulations to Catalinja and all the team. Yeah, very cool. So, um, shooting on a train, not easy. Mm-mm. Shooting in the cold, not easy. Did they pick anything in here that was easy? <laughs> <laughs> Just looks like let's find the most difficult filming conditions. Yeah, but the the the, the landscapes look gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He he wanted. Like the Romero films, it's claustrophobia and you're stuck in a house, you're stuck in a mall. Yeah. But this one, he wanted to open it up. And so like you've got these huge landscapes and this tiny little figure. Mm-hmm. And you often get these shots where there's, there's nobody on screen and then someone will enter into a scene. You know, like the the landscape's like this big oppressive thing that these people are stuck, stuck in. in. Yeah. I did really enjoy when they were going up those uh, mountain trails <clears throat> when she met up with the two workers the one who had the rifle. Right. And they're trying to climb up this hillside of rubble. And the one guy fell. Because and I do not think that was... That was not scripted. I yeah. do not think it was scripted when he... Because <laughs> she almost stumbles and he catches her and kind of helps her up. And then he face plants. <laughs> <laughs> then he grabs on her to steady himself. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Paul and Francois. Oh, yes. Who are beer drinkers. Yes, that's why they're not zombie fighting. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I don't like wine. I might have it once a year. J'aime bière. <laughs> yeah, that's that's me. I'm not I'm not I'm not that much of a wino. More of a more of no. a more of a bureau. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kinda wonder like uh like, is it is it like a second class citizen thing to be a beer maker there, or is that got its own? Oh, French beer is great. I, I've... And you've got like uh, interaction with Belgian beer, which is of course. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. That's good to know. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it was funny because like uh, when when he was coming up with the, uh, what we could we do to solve the zombie apocalypse, it was like. It was either going to be tobacco or wine. It was going to be something really at the heart of French culture. <laughs> yeah, wine is perfect. You know, it's it just could have been Galois cigarettes or something. Yeah, or baguettes of death. Ooh, baguettes of death. That's good. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, I gotta wonder, like, uh, if you're a bad winemaker in France, do they just kick you out, or just do they? You're make, executed. Do they make fun of you? It's yeah. The only thing they use the guillotine for <laughs> anymore. Yeah, they dust it off. <laughs> uh huh. It's it's part of the Eiffel Tower too, so they clear it out. Yeah. It's a big to do, so they don't do it very often. But if you, you know, make wine with a uh, antifreeze in it or something, yeah, to speed up the fermentation, yeah, you're you're being beheaded. Yep. Right next to those apartment buildings, all Americans rent when they're in France in mm-hmm. Paris, and you can see the Eiffel Tower out the window. <laughs> Every window on all four sides. <laughs> <laughs> they, they never cotton on that they might be faked. <laughs> I love it. Every movie, you know, it's yes. it's visible wherever you are in Paris. It makes uh-huh. Paris look like it's you know a tiny little town. Yeah, there's only one story buildings apart from. Yeah, right across the street from the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah, it's in the town square, <laughs> loaded with mimes. Uh huh. A lot of mimes and just regular people in black and white striped shirts and berets, smoking cigarettes. Uh huh. With a baguette sticking out of a brown paper bag. Mm-hmm. So they ride their bicycle home from their two-hour lunch. Yeah, 
Sounds like the dream, doesn't it? It 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 does. Yeah. Like no one looks down on you for taking long lunches, getting drunk, having ridiculously long sticks of bread. Long lunches built into the day. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, oh man. They expect you to have two months of vacation out of the year or something mm-hmm. like that? They force you because yeah. they're socialist bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and they're always on strike. And that's what would happen here if we had, you know, mandatory vacation time. They'd force you to go to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> so where do the French go on vacation? Any idea, Julian? <laughs> do they show up in England? No, they... They show up on the French Riviera and the coast. Do, do they just go to like Italy and Greece and they have their and own coast? Go, oh, and you're France, you can, you can hop over to Spain, it's just next door. Yeah, that's true. Italy is just across the mountains. Yeah, it sounds like access. It's to... centrally located. Yeah. <laughs> Convenient to bus lines and train. If they're working. <laughs> if they're working, uh, if they haven't burned the city to the ground by now because mm-hmm. of retirement ages, we're all going, do you have a retirement? <laughs> That's <age?"> crazy. <laughs> we're here. We're, we're worked to death. You're just old man. You can uh, nip across to London in a couple of hours and see the sights and then get back home before you're hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before the sun goes down. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I wonder how they feel about fish and chips. I mean, they... I don't know. Yeah. Well, they're French fries. Right. Chips. Frites. Yeah. (laughs) But we digress. Um, So the gore, the makeup effects, they, you know, you squint a little, they were fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, what what do you think of the the Lucy character? um, She's like... um, like most, this is fairly crass film for Roland. He's usually quite dreamy and mm-hmm. erotic, and um, things don't make as much sense as they do in this film. That's a shame. Um, this one's kind of, it's got, you know, it's weird, but it's got its own logic. It follows it. Yeah. But this one, you get this like a this character called Lucy, and she's introduced, and, it, and at first you think it's like a zombie stumbling out the landscape, and then you realize it's a, a blind woman who's wandering through all these weird like monolith like rocks yeah and uh so elizabeth takes her to the village and then realizes that everyone in the village is like dead there's like just corpses all over the streets and she's like keeps telling her we're we're outside the village we're not there yet but she clearly knows that she's in her own village yeah she even remarks i can hear fire and smell smoke what's going on (laughs) they're stepping over corpses it's just uh it's just a brush fire it's okay yeah it's like she feels the face of one at some point and oh with a guy with his eyeball yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it just falls out and she's like i felt something yeah Okay. It you was, couldn't guess? Elizabeth keeps lying long beyond the time Oh, we're outside the village there while yeah, they're yeah. going through the middle of it. <laughs> um, and then she's, um, she, she's telling, she tells us something about her life in the village, like she's, she's being mocked by the village because she's blind. Yeah. Wow. And What uh, a loss that they're all dead now. Yeah. Um, and then she's, she gets scared enough at night in the village that she's... Um, she call, she's calling to people. She doesn't know where anyone is. And she, she goes to the village cross. And uh, she's calling them and people emerge from the houses and all these zombies. 
and they approach her and then um she finds her lover who's lucien mm -hmm. and he's a zombie and uh she gets crucified on a door and then beheaded and then he beheads her with an axe yeah and uh while he's crying out i love you Yes. And then all the other villagers join Start in. Start crying out, yes. my love, so my love. All these zombies such a good scene. It's a really strange scene. Yeah. That's probably the most rolling out of the scenes, but um, uh, made me think like uh, later zombies, they'd be walking around going, brains, brains, because they're brainless. Yeah. But in this one, they're calling for love. Because they're, ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. This does make a lot more sense now. So, um... And they make a point that men are more affected by it than women. Yes, right. What was with that? I think they were saying that men drink more than women. Ah. That's the only thing I could get out of it, unless and it was something, I mean... They're not in touch with their emotions. Maybe, because it seemed like it was driven by anger at first. Yeah. They kind of lost that, but, like, the... The first uh, home she goes to, and there's a dad and his daughter, and right. the dad's gone mad. He's and killed the wife. And it seems like he's okay <laughs> until he gets mad, and then it's like he he loses his mind and kills, and then mm. realizes he's killed. And so maybe there's something... Yeah, the dead wife's up in bed, and then, then he attacks his own daughter, and he, he doesn't just kill her, he rips her shirt off. Yes. Yeah, that was a little creepy. Then he penetrates her. Yes. Not like that. <laughs> Not like that, but on some level. Yep. Damn. Yeah, pitchfork. Yeah. What a way to go. Oof. Um, yeah, um, that, that's the point at which Elizabeth flees in the car. Yeah, and he, he begs her to kill him. Yeah. yeah. Which she obliges. She kind seemed of... more than happy to just <laughs> run him into the wall. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, this is probably me just being very American about this sort of thing, but every time I see a car in a French or Italian movie, I expect it not to start <laughs> when someone gets in it. It's just like, oh, what is that, a Peugeot? <laughs> it's not going to start. What a about Fiat? a Ferrari? Okay, that's a different story. So they got two kinds of cars. Uh-huh. <laughs> really badass sports cars and these comically little ones that you know for the peons yeah but. if you watch uh, enough thrillers then every time you see an american car you expect it to explode well yeah true if yeah. it rolls off the road even the most gentle <laughs> yeah if, it, if you're parking inclined, it, it's it's the the car. boom yeah <laughs> yeah car yeah in this they had to throw dine or fire into the back of the truck to get it blow up yes. did you notice that it didn't explode from the bed of the truck it exploded from underneath the cab yeah, that's always. Like oh well, that. I'm not going to critique that. It's just an observation. Children of the mid afternoon, <laughs> toddlers of the mid morning. So, um, yeah, there's there's uh, the the big the big uh, showdown kind of scene. Uh, they finally make it to um, the winery where. Elizabeth's fiance works. Everyone else fled or something. Mm -hmm. And he's the last one holding down the fort, sort of. Yeah. Maybe waiting for her. And yeah, he's. Michelle. Yeah, Michelle is uh, infected. Uh, so you got 
the two construction worker guys with well, one has a rifle and uh, she's they help themselves to some food and drink, not wine. And uh, yeah, they, have, they have beer, cheese and champagne. Yeah. 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 Get a little little thing of butter, a couple couple pieces of baguette. You know, mm-hmm. you're good you're to go. Yeah. yeah. Some beer. Yeah. That's fantastic. Good lunch. Yeah. This is, this is what we should all be doing. Um, she goes off to see if she can find Michel and, and does. And he's infected. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really familiar with the winemaking process in, in, in that, on that level. Uh, it seems like there's some sort of giant tanks. Yeah. Now I've heard of tanks above the ground, but I've never heard of them like built into the building as part of the structure, but that appears to be what. Yeah. Cause at the start you see like, um, the guy who helps Kowalski, the tractor driver, yeah. he's played by Jean Renard. Oh, okay. Yeah. You see a brief bit of him going in into this structure and he, he dips his hand into the vat that yeah. matches in the floor and it's just wine. Yeah. So it seems to be this floor full of wine. Yeah. He opens that lid and just kind of sloshes the wine around. Yeah. Maybe he's checking it for look and I, I feel. I don't know if that's real or... I don't know. If it, he's just like dipping his hand into this red stuff as some kind of... I know they don't crush grapes with their feet anymore, but I mean, this is... Maybe he should have been wearing a glove. It was the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People were smoking in the doctor's office. What, what else are you going to do? Wasn't that a song in the 70s? Smoking in the doctor's office? <laughs> it was. <laughs> I met you when you were smoking in the doctor's office. Smoking in the doctor's <laughs> office. <laughs> it's a song about irony. Yeah. So, uh, four out of five doctors recommend camels. That's right. Because they're smooth. Yeah. They, they don't have that throat burn. Yeah, no throat burn. I think those were Chesterfields that didn't have the throat burn. Uh, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, so she finds him and uh, he's infected. Things ain't looking so good, but she's kind of going toward him. He's saying, get away from me. This isn't good. And then guy with rifle shows up and uh, he wants, he's Michelle attacks him. On purpose to get shot. Yeah. It's kind of like the suicide by cop kind of move. Uh-huh. And um, she's upset by this clearly and takes the rifle away. And picks it up. and or yeah. picks it up and shoots him, the, yeah. the other guy. Paul. 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 And um, then heads down into the, well, she, she says goodbye to Michelle and then heads down into the wine tank. Pops out of the side door of the tank, shoots the other guy. And then uh, she sits there kind of looking mad. Yeah, because she's had a drop. Yep. So And then blood drips on her face. And she just yes, lets it keep she, happening. She see, receives the blood of her dripping fiancé. Yes. And we can only assume she's infected by that. Yeah. And that she will have the same fate. So kind of a morose ending. Mm, well, how many zombie apocalypse films end? Upbeat note. <laughs> That's true. More of them. Like people too. survive, but. That's true. Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead ends pretty well. Yes. You know, just got them into society, get them to work, play video games with them still. You know? Yes. Yeah. Huh. Referring to the event as Z Day. Z Day, yes. Yeah, that is definitely in my top five favorite zombie movies. 
Yeah. Shaun of the Dead. What's your least favorite zombie movie? <laughs> Whew, that's a good question. What's the worst zombie movie you've ever seen? I've seen a lot of those stupid ones where people arrogantly assume that it's easy and yeah, they just we're going to make a dumb zombie movie and people are going to like it. And you just watch people walk, walking. Yeah. <laughs> For an hour. Yeah, there's like Dance of the Dead and this and that of the day. I mean, the, just like basically go on to Tubi or any number of other streaming services and you'll find easily. Well, a couple of years after this one, uh, Grapes of Death, uh, Jean Roland was brought in as a replacement director on um, Zombie Lake, hmm. which had been started by um, Jess Franco. Wow. So a movie that Jess Franco left. Wow. That tells you something about the movie. Yeah. So Jean Roland finished it off. It's not a good zombie movie. It's a Nazi zombie movie. Oh, yes. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. I'm not seeing it, but yeah, I know of the of the film. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not the worst I've ever seen, though. But then after that, in the 80s, he did one called The Living Dead Girl, which is great. It's one of his best. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen that, but... Yeah, it, that that really goes into like the tragedy of the self-aware... Zombie. Zombie having to consume those she loves. And... Mm. Yeah, there are just a lot of bad ones. I mean, there's mm. there have been a lot of bad vampire movies, a lot of bad zombie movies. Um, fewer bad werewolf movies, because that's apparently... Fewer movies. Yeah, just yeah, they are just fewer. Yeah, you, you can't just pick up a but, digital camera and make a werewolf movie. Right. Howling 2 <laughs> probably <laughs> makes up for like... 12 bad movies in any other genre. Yeah, have you not got to not Howling 7 yet? Oh, yeah, no, I I stop at 2. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I watched part 4 recently, and it's just like a remake of part 1. Yes. If you, it wasn't bad, though. I mm-hmm. kind of enjoyed it. If you waste the talent of Christopher Lee, and then you use a mask on a stick, <laughs> you should never work again. <laughs> just say that. I saw... Worst zombie movie I saw was a local movie. It was screened at the Esquire, a midnight show. The guys I went with, um, they all promptly fell asleep, leaving me. I didn't have a car. I didn't drive there. Leaving me watching this thing where a creep in a house captures a cute zombie. Cute zombie. I guess she was cute living. uh, And keeps her chained up in a shed so he can have sex with her. Huh. Yeah, huh? Ooh, I don't know about that one. So, did they manage to make eighty or ninety minutes out of that? Yeah, it was about eighty minutes. Could have been a short. He walked around, or the main character walked around with a hammer, just killing zombies. And they kind of crossed paths at some point. I don't remember a whole lot about it because it was, it was people with like pancake makeup on lurching down the street mm. in daylight. And you're like, hmm, okay. I'm going to guess that this wasn't um, a movie about consent. No, no, I, do, I don't think they had any awareness of any of that. Hmm. Wow. I, I think the director on some level was saying, that's what I would do in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I, nice. I'd carry a hammer around and fuck dead girls. What? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um. 28 Days Later has got a hopeful ending, but then it had other endings that weren't that they chose between. 
Um, yeah, the one where it's uh, uh, he looks up and the Lincoln Memorial's changed to an ape. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. was one of the endings that they they turned down. Yep, Ape Lincoln. Ape Lincoln. <laughs> Honest ape. Um, well, let's let's do the recommends. Um, Will, this was your first time seeing this. Yes. And uh, it it took. We didn't talk really on on the show so far about it. the efforts it took to, to watch this this morning. Yeah, yeah. Because on on uh, archive.org, it was about five seconds of of uh, movie followed by about eight seconds of buffering. But I had told you that I was downloading it yeah. right after I talked to you. I went and looked, and it had finished. Oh, really? I was like, well, see, that's, so that's what you watched. So that's what I okay. watched. Okay. I watched it on YouTube. I finally just said, you know what? I communicated with Will on this and he wasn't having much luck. I'm just going to see if it's, and, and we're, I think we were on the phone and I said, Hey, yeah, it's on YouTube. See you later. Yeah. And I, I went to pull up YouTube and then I, I still had that screen open and I looked and was like, Oh, the file's done. Click play. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you can see it in canopy, see it there. Cause I think they use the Blu-ray. I think, okay. I think the, this, the real this moral must of this, I mean, it looked really good. Hmm. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, it a, was very sharp. Um, it was a good transfer. Yeah. Um, I think the real moral of this story is that we should go get our damn library cards again. Yes. It's been way too long. And don't drink wine. Well, yeah, I'm not about to, but... Uh, okay, so first time seeing it, it's a good transfer. What'd you think? I liked it. Did it look and feel like an Italian movie? A tad. I mean, it really did to me at first. They started speaking... It, it was not outlandish enough to be Italian no. or gory enough. Yeah. But I, I can't tell you what the look and feel of it is it's kind of like trying to describe what the look and feel of a soap opera is like yeah there's something about the lighting it's the lighting and it's recorded on video yeah that's why you see it different than other tv shows yeah i noticed it when i was young watching football and tv was like why does it look so much different and then I, i had to go look it up and figure out why they look different not knowing that one was on video and one was on film right you know but uh yeah, I grew up with that because, like, uh, the 70s Doctor Who, they showed the in- interior studio stuff was on videotape. And, and we're talking about the big suitcase size videotape. Yeah. And then the exterior stuff and the special effects scenes were film. We're on film. And you, yeah, you were like, why so like, does this it looks change? different. It was just seemed dreamy. It was just this weird, you go into this weird space where all the fantastical stuff happens. And then you're back in the studio and it looks like video. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so I didn't know what was neat. going on. But yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I it it bugged me for the longest time. I was probably fourth grade or something, and then I realized, oh, that's what soap operas do too. Because you know, thinking back, it's like, oh, soap operas are very weird. It's the lighting. It's seems yeah. a little more lifelike. Yeah, because the frame rate's just a little higher. Yeah, yeah, it's meant to be disposable. That too. Yeah. Just record over those Doctor Who's. Nobody's going to watch them yeah. again. So what do you think? I liked it. Yeah, thought it was all right. You said, yeah. I don't want any wine. And you uh, do. And you do recommend this. And yeah, I recommend. Cool, cool, Julian. Yep, I like it. Yep. So uh, that makes three of us. I liked it. I recommend it. Yeah. yeah it's a good uh, start point for John Roland. It's not one of his weirdest ones. But it's got some of that, some of that specific Roland feel to it. You think, oh, I'll check out more of his work. Yeah, and it lines up pretty good with the uh, with the first one, Grapes of Wrath. 
you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same theme. Same thing. Kind of, you know, capitalism will turn you into a zombie sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, wherever a guy's getting arrested or beaten by a cop, Tom Jode will be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Did you like it? I did. I did like this one a lot. Um, and no problem excusing the makeup effects. I mean, I'm fine with that. No worries. I was surprised how good the blood looked in that last scene, uh, dripping on her face. Um, I have to ask, uh, Jolien, what is, um, what is the killing car? Oh, that's one of his later movies. I think when he was, he had like, when he was working the small budget on this one, but like really cheap, uh, it's described as a surreal revenge thriller. Yeah. She's, she's like taking revenge. Um, when was that from? 93. Yeah. La Femme Dangerous. Uh-huh. Killing Car, 1993. Yeah. Um, I wasn't that keen on that. Yeah. Um, where, where, where did his, did he, did he lose you right after Living Dead Girl? Let's see. Sidewalks uh, so of Bangkok. Living, I've not seen the Sidewalks of Bangkok. It's not a horror movie and I've not been able to find it. Um, and it's not on the uh, Arrow sets that I worked on. Um, so Living Dead Girl, I thought was really good. Um, I think that's the last one I really liked. Um, his mm. later ones have, are interesting where he's, go, he's shooting on video and such. Mm. I'm, um, a, I'm assuming his vampire vampire movies of uh, late late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. And uh, he was so he, his his movies get increasingly self-referential and like you know, cast members, the old ones, turn up in it, and mm. um, so you get le, le fiance de Dracula mm-hmm. and les deux orphelines vampires, which is which is a pretty good one. The two orphan vampires, um, uh, and some of the later ones like uh, Mask of the Medusa. You have the actual. Um, what was it um, Grand Brino Theatre? Oh, in it. Um, but yeah, I, I prefer his like sixties, uh, seventies movies. Cool, generally. It's the Mask uh, of the Medusa just on a stick. Yeah, <laughs> they just reach it into frame and shake it around. Yeah, <laughs> then they cut to the person already turned to stone. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, um, that covers that. Uh, so. For next week's show, we're going to do the 2021 film Alone With You. I'm assuming it was filmed in 2020 based on the pandemic feel of it. Yep, it's Uh, a COVID movie. It's a COVID. So we'll talk about that one. But, you know, uh, it's it's got Barbara Crampton in it. So, you know, that makes up for something. Uh, Listeners, thank you for listening. A bientôt. Go go, for it. You're fine. (laughs) Au revoir. (laughs) Au revoir. <laughs>